0: Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this morning where we can come together as a church once again uh, to read your word and to um, uh, meditate on your word and learn more about you. Uh, And I just pray, Lord, this morning that you speak uh, to us, that you um, open up our hearts to be receptive to um, what the sermon has to say. Uh, In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so the passage we're reading is John chapter 19, verses 31 to 42. So now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the cross during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they had came to Jesus, they found that he was already dead. They did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And, as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Taking Jesus's body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. Uh, this was in accordance with Jewish Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden was a new, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid, because it was the Jewish day of preparation. And since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Uh, this is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning. Uh, welcome uh, to church. It's great to. Uh, have you with us uh, this morning. I wonder, what's the bravest thing you've ever done? Glamour, a women's magazine, asked a range of women from the ages of five all the way up to 75. They asked these women, what's the bravest thing you've ever done? And while there were some age appropriate answers like getting a bug off my leg or giving birth or getting a divorce, There were actually a lot of similarity questions regardless of the age, like standing up to a bully, going on a roller coaster or a zip line, or facing your fear head on by by doing it. For instance, climbing up the Eiffel Tower to to conquer your fear of heights. And of course, giving a speech and acting on stage. What's the bravest thing you've ever done? this morning we see two extraordinarily brave men who show tremendous courage by taking Jesus down from the cross and giving him a king's burial. Well, we've been following Jesus since his arrest. He's had that sham of a trial. He's been beaten and sentenced to the cross, sentenced to death on the cross, where he will die a gruelling death. And as he Hanged on the cross. There's a sign above he said, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And he dies. We left it last week with Jesus dead. But you see, he's still hanging on the cross. And the first thing we'll see this morning is that the dead king fulfills scripture. No broken bones. Uh, follow along there from verse 31. Now, it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken there. Well, it's the preparation day, Uh, and that is, it's the day before the Passover. The Passover was a, a yearly celebration where once a year God's people would celebrate and remember that God had rescued them and delivered them out of slavery in Egypt. So that happened once a year. And we see here that it's a special Sabbath. So Sabbath was a weekly event where they would remember and have a day of rest. And it was a special Sabbath because it fell in time of the Passover, that yearly event. And and the Sabbath, well, that began at sundown, at sunset on the Friday evening. And at sundown, at that particular point in the evening, well, that is the new day. That would begin the new day for them. And so it's still Friday at this point during the day. But you see, the Jewish leaders are aware that, that the sunset's approaching, that the Sabbath will begin very soon. And so they ask Pilate to, to remove the bodies from the cross. And to make sure that they're dead, they request that the legs are broken. You see, the Jewish leaders uh, have Deuteronomy in their mind here, where the, the bodies of hanged criminals will defile the land. And if they remain on a tree, particularly if they, they remain on the tree overnight, you see, they're concerned that the land will be defiled by leaving Jesus on the, on the cross throughout the night. And so they make this request to Pilate to take down the bodies. But as we've seen earlier, the Jewish leaders, they're hypocrites. Remember how they didn't enter Pilate's house so they wouldn't become unclean? And yet, they handed over an innocent man to death. They have blood on their hands. And yet, they're concerned about becoming unclean. And here, they're concerned about the land being defiled. You see, they're so concerned to follow the law perfectly, and yet, they ignore the law where it says, but which they ignore the law that really shows that they are murderers. That they have murdered an innocent man. They have blood dripping on their hands, but said they're not concerned about that. They're concerned the land will be defiled. But you see a hypocrite's inconsistency. Well, that's never a problem. You can do whatever you want and ignore whatever you want because being an inconsistent hypocrite, well, that is is the way things go. You see, when it came to the crucifixion, with someone hanging on the cross left to die, it could actually take several days for them to die. And while the Romans would be quite happy to, to leave someone on the cross until they died, Uh, two, three, four days, as long as it took and being left eventually for the vultures, uh, for the birds, as a great example to other people, don't mess with us. This is what happened if you do this. But see, while the Romans were happy to leave someone on the cross for a long time, not the Jewish people. And so to hurry up the death process, they would smash the legs with an iron mallet. Uh, You see, to hang on a cross was a a really awful slow and painful death you see as as people hung there for for days their lungs would become constricted would really only happen after a couple of hours their lungs would become constricted and so to help themselves breathe they would they would prop themselves up using their feet so that they could fill their lungs with air And so to speed up the death process, well, you you smash their feet, you you smash their legs, so they they can't push up anymore. And so they die sooner. If we have a look from verse 33, well, the soldiers therefore came and, and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found he was already dead, they did not break his legs that they didn't break his legs because he was already dead. And you see, the dead king fulfills scripture. No broken bones. Because if we look here at verse 36, these things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. You see, the scripture that's in mind here, well, there's two really, is is Exodus 12 and and Numbers 9, and they're both really similar. They they refer to the the Passover lamb. You see, we've already kind of looked at a bit of the Passover, but, but back in Exodus, God's people, they were slaves in Egypt. They were oppressed by a ruthless king, ruthless Pharaoh, who just wouldn't let the people go. And so despite plague after plague, he wouldn't let them go. But then God sets a final plague in place. And just before that plague happens, God gives his people really specific instructions referring to a lamb. They were to get a perfect lamb without any blemish, no broken bones. And then they were to to kill this lamb and they were to collect the blood and they were to paint it all over the door frames. Uh, out, uh, their outside door, and when and when the final plague did take place, uh, uh, the firstborns died. However, those that had blood on the doors, well, they were spared. They were passed over. You see, the lamb died in place of the firstborn, and see the Jewish people were to remember this. They were to to celebrate this every year, the Passover, and have this great meal remembering that, that God had rescued his people. You see, in John's Gospel, John is making it abundantly clear to us that Jesus, he's the Passover lamb. He's the one who dies in place of his people. He's the innocent Perfect lamb without spot or blemish, with no broken bones. You see, John's gospel has been preparing us for this from from the very start. He's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus, the lamb of God, he's the great Passover lamb whose legs were not broken, who dies so that we won't have to. He dies in place of his people who believe. Well, Jesus fulfills scripture by having no broken bones. The next thing we see is that the king, that the dead king fulfills another scripture. They pierced him. They didn't break his legs because he was already dead. and, And in verse 34, instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of of blood and water he's already dead but to be absolutely sure a soldier grabs a spear and sticks it into his side and he gives him a a lethal mortal wound into the heart he's truly dead this is like getting a death certificate and you see the pierced heart Did you notice that brings on a sudden flow of blood and water? Now, some doctors have done some research and reckon that because of the the beating he would have had several hours earlier, uh, that that this would have happened. Blood and water would have have rushed out. But see, the point that John's making here, he's making the point that Jesus has truly died. You see, at that time when this was written, they saw the body as being made up of, of water and blood. And so when they leave, and so when water and blood depart from Jesus as they come out from him, that is his life source. His life source is departing, his body. It shows us that, that Jesus has truly died. That is the point he's trying to make. And this is important because you've got to remember that Jesus was God in the flesh. Remember, he's the word become flesh. God became man. But you see, this God-man, he truly died. He hasn't just fainted. He's, he's not asleep. He hasn't passed out. His heart was pierced and the life of his body drained out of him. He is truly dead. And I reckon that's the point that's going on in verse 35. You see, the man who saw it has given testimony and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. You see, John, whose account we're reading, turns to us at this point. And, and the man here, well, this is John. John, John never refers to himself as, as John. He always uses these different ways uh, to, to speak about himself. But anyway, uh, John, at this point, he turns to us. He's kind of like telling the story and he actually turns to us. He looks us in the face and he says, he tells us, Jesus has truly died. You see, I wonder if you remember the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Uh, it was filmed in the 80s, uh, but it's actually a classic uh, I'm sure many of you have, have have seen the movie. Anyway, there are these scenes in the movie where, where Ferris, he, he turns to the camera and speaks. Uh, they call it breaking the fourth wall. Uh, he turns and speaks directly to us watching the film. And he tells us about something that's kind of going on and happening in the film. And you see, that is exactly what John tells us here. He looks at us, He he looks at us, the reader, And he tells us that Jesus, he truly died. He saw it with his own eyes. And his testimony is true. And he tells us so that we may believe. In fact, what he's written here, the the whole account, he tells us at the end that he's written this, that we may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, God, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus told his disciples repeatedly, I'm going to die, I will come back to life. I'm the good shepherd, he told them, who lays down his life for the good of the sheep. He would die to give them life. And you see, this is the glory that he has spoken about, that he's been working towards, where he would die for the good of the world. He would die uh, for the good of those who believe in him. You see, Jesus died because of our sin, our rebellion against God, not his own, but for the sin of the world. You see, we've seen this as a problem ever since the start of start of the Bible in the third chapter in Genesis, that, that sin results in death. But the perfect Passover lamb, will he takes our place? So that those who believe, well they are passed over god's judgment you see jesus needed to truly die so that the punishment for sin for rebellion against god could be truly paid because sin equals death and so as jesus the great passover lamb dies in our place jesus truly died but you see there were people back then and i'm sure you've heard similar arguments today where people say nah nah jesus didn't die he was just asleep he just passed out because of the beating he received or whatever it might be but you see that is against the facts john shows us that he truly died he's a life source water and it left him people may deny it but they haven't looked at the facts And you see, Jesus being pierced fulfills another scripture. Verse verse, verse 37, uh, they will look on the one they have pierced. And this time it comes from the book of Zechariah. Zechariah is an Old Testament prophet. uh, And and I've I've got the passage here for us. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. You see, Ze- uh, Zechariah speaks of a time when God will pour out, he will give, he will kindle within his people a repentant heart. He will lead them to repentance for what they have done. You see, they will mourn, they will grieve, they will weep because of the one they have killed that is the one they have pierced and do notice here that it's not the nations who do this but it's the, the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem these are the ones God's own people they have pierced and killed someone but thanks to God well he gives them a repentant heart and they mourn what they have done because of it And as we look at the verses around that passage in in Zechariah chapter 12, uh, we'll notice that there is the striking of a shepherd with a sword. And there's also a, a fountain that's been opened to God's people, a fountain that will cleanse their people, cleanse his people from sin and impurity. And see, John's saying this is fulfilled by Jesus. Jesus is the one pierced and killed. And yet through his death will a fountain of life flows out of him. They will cleanse his people of their sin and impurity. Out of him flows forgiveness and life. And you see, that's the significance of the blood and, and water flowing out of Jesus. As, as Jesus' life flows out of him like a fountain, Well, it actually gives life to those who believe his word. They receive forgiveness of sins through his blood. And they receive the Holy Spirit. Remember in John's gospel, he's told us that Jesus would give living water. For the one who thirsts and believes in Jesus, well, they will receive living water, that is, the Holy Spirit. You see, the water and blood that flow out of Jesus, it is a fountain of forgiveness of sins and eternal life. The fountain flows unto us who are humble before Jesus, who've been given a repentant heart, who truly mourn and grieve their sin, knowing that they've pierced Jesus in their sin. You see, Jesus died for all sin, that is for yours and for mine. And so we are responsible for piercing him too. But you see, with a repentant heart, we will find forgiveness and life through trusting in him. We've seen Jesus, who's truly dead, who fulfills Old Testament scripture, showing us that he is God's promised future king, that what he said about himself is, is seen to be true. He's also the, the path over lamb who dies in place of his people, whose death brings forgiveness and eternal life. Well, after death, uh, one is buried. And the final thing we'll see here this morning is that Jesus gets a king's burial. I spoke about the bravest thing you've done at the start of, at the start of this talk. And, and what Joseph of Arimathea does next is probably brave than anything you have ever done. You see, what Joseph does takes tremendous courage. Have a look up here from from verse 38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he, he came and took the body away. You see, Joseph was a member of the Jewish council and had seen everything the Jewish leaders had done, and, and kept, and deep down, he was against what they were doing, but for fear of them. He said nothing. But you see, his fear here, this is not a compliment. We saw earlier in John 12 that those who feared the Jewish authorities and as a result didn't side with Jesus, will they seek human praise rather than God's praise. But Joseph's, well, Joseph, he's transformed and comes out into the open and sides with Jesus. He shows great compassion and sympathy towards Jesus by doing what he does. And it is particularly a brave and courageous thing because Joseph would have lost friends because of what he's done. He would have lost the respect, and position he had of the Jewish council who hated Jesus venomously. But you see, what Joseph does is he shows that he's a true disciple of Jesus by what he's done. And while Jesus, Joseph could have stood back here and said, well, Jesus' disciples, they're the ones who really should be doing this. You see, he doesn't. He sticks his necks out. He sticks his neck out and gives Jesus a king's burial. But you see, he's not the only one. Have a look there at verse 39. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus bought a mixture of myrrh and alloys, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips, in strips of linen. See, we met Nicodemus earlier in John 3, remember? He came to Jesus at night, And Jesus told him, you need to be born again. But he was kind of really confused uh, by this. He didn't understand. And part of that, John was kind of showing us that because he came at night, that Nicodemus was in the dark. That regardless of of what Jesus said to him, he would never understand. He couldn't comprehend because he himself was in the dark, represented by the night. But do notice here that, that it's not dark now. You see, he has now come out in the light. And so he joins Joseph in seeing Jesus for who he truly is. You see, they were transformed men who finally came out into the open and sided with Jesus. Nicodemus was obviously a wealthy, wealthy man. Because at great expense, he gathers 75 pounds of spices. And that is a great expense. If, if we're going back to, to Mary, where Mary anointed Jesus' feet with that expensive perfume, uh, we found out there that the amount of perfume, the ointment that she put on Jesus' feet, well, that was about one year's wages. Well, Nicodemus acquires an extraordinary amount of, of spice about 100 times more than what Mary poured on his feet. This is a staggering amount for Jesus' burial. But you see, it's not an over-exaggeration. There were similar examples uh, of the period where extraordinary amounts of spices were used for one's burial. And it was used to show great honour to a great king. And these two men can see Jesus being far greater than any king, give him a king's burial. And so with sunset, uh, the Sabbath fast approaching, the sun's probably going down very soon. They place Jesus in a nearby tomb. It's out of necessity uh, because it's a new tomb. It's never been used, but really it it is a tomb fit for a king. Well, at Jesus' darkest hour, he's dead and all alone. Two friends come out of the shadows to side with Jesus. They're transformed men who stick their neck out to give Jesus a king's burial. They both knew what it was like to hang back and say nothing, but not anymore. And so, regardless of the effect it would have on their reputation, they side with Jesus. And I reckon that we can learn heaps from these guys too. You see, there might be times when we're embarrassed by Jesus, where we want to hide in the shadows. Or in fact, that we already do hide in the shadows with our friends and families who, who don't understand or, or don't truly understand what we believe. And because maybe we feel that if we sided with Jesus, we might lose everything. We might lose respect, a our reputation. We might struggle in our careers and success because people might judge us because of our faith. We might be mocked openly or or not be promoted. And so we we hide in the shadows. And while we might be attracted to Jesus because he has done some truly amazing things in his life-giving death, it is good news and good news for all. But fear of others might actually drive us more because deep down we may seek the praise of people rather than seek the praise of God. And so we struggle to speak of Jesus to others. We might even say to ourselves, ah, see, I'm just waiting for a better opportunity. But then we don't create them or we don't take them up when the better opportunity comes. And although we're not seeing many people physically these days, we can still hide in the shadows when we do speak to friends. Oh, what did you get up to on the weekend? Oh, of course I went to church, but oh, they don't mean that, do they? No, no, no. I'll talk about this other stuff I did. I won't mention church. No, no, no. You see, these men had hidden in the shadows for fear of the Jews, but they were transformed and stepped out into the light. They came out into the open and sided with Jesus. Brothers and sisters, take courage from these men who stepped out of the shadows at Jesus' darkest hour and were willing to to lose it all in honouring him with a burial fit for a king. May we too side with Jesus and boldly proclaim him to those around us. Well, Jesus truly died as the great Passover lamb, dying so that we wouldn't have to. And a fountain of forgiveness, of sin and eternal life flowed out of him. Why wouldn't we want to proclaim this good news to others? Well, let's pray, shall we? Father, we give you great thanks for our Lord Jesus. We thank you that he truly died that he truly died, that we could find forgiveness of our sin and that we could find eternal life in his, in his life. Next week we'll see that he rose from the dead and so he gives us resurrected life too when we live for him and, and trust him. Father, help us be encouraged by Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus that we may take great courage from them too, that we may side with Jesus, that we may step out of the darkness and into the wonderful light and show that we are on his side and that we may proclaim his good news to others too. When we feel discouraged, when we feel weak, when we feel an inability to, to do that, we pray that you would give us the great courage and boldness we need, that we may be able to boldly and bravely proclaim Christ who gives life to all who believe. Be with us, we pray, that Jesus may be known more and more. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.